On today's episode of Batten the Boondocks, we discuss Robbie Middleton and Zakia Avery. You're listening to Batten the Boondocks, baby. Bat in the boondocks. Bat in the boondocks. People put it down, but what you're supposed to do in a small town? Bat in the boondocks. Bat in the boondocks. Lord, how much it can help me. Bat in the boondocks. Hey, and welcome to Bad in the Boondocks. As always, I am one of your hosts, Stan. And I am Drew. How's it going? Going pretty good. Well, good thing I wasn't asking you. I was asking the um, audience members. How about that? Wow. But you weren't expecting that. Wow. I do have a question, though. I have some. And you. it's a very important question, what? and it's just going to take a tiny little bit of the time. Okay, what? But why do you say... Like whenever you get, whenever a person gets pissed off, you always say, chill out, man. But that means that you're throwing the chill out of it. So that means that that makes no sense, does it? You should say, you need to chill in, man. I hope everybody's week has been going good. <laughs> really? And we're moving right on along. That deserves a move right on along. A scientific answer. Anyway, I hope everybody's Halloween was good. I hope your week's been got good. Good. Yeah. Anyway, um, please remember go and rate us five stars. Send us a picture of that so you can get into that drawing that we do every month to win a merchandise. Oh yeah. Yep. Zach X he chose a clock. Yeah, a clock. A clock clock. Now, Jesus Christ, he I always have to do. He rhyming. always makes it into something else that it does doesn't even make sense. Hardly. It rhymes. It, it rhymes, but it it's. <laughs> It's no commentary. Also, remember, we now have 10 Patreon members, so we are due to do a live episode. We will be doing that on Facebook Live, and we will hand we will email you or send you a message with the tickets to get into that if you're a Patreon member. Yes. Only patrons can participate in that. Yeah. So if you're a patron, you get the look special out. treatment, baby. Yep. You look out for that. Oh, yeah. And remember, the first 50 patrons and Himalaya Premium members yes. will go in for a drawing for $100 Amazon gift card. We need some support, people. And we want to thank Amanda Carrico for becoming one of our special Patreon members. We thank you so much for supporting the show. It really does help us out. We're really glad that you found us and that you enjoy us enough to support us. Oh, yeah. We can't do it without our patrons and our premium members. So thank y'all. Well, From the bottom meant, of our hearts. We can't really do it without our listeners neither because then we would just quit if we didn't get no listeners. So We really can I mean, a lot of people would say that we can't do it with them. <laughs> According to some reviews. Exactly. Well, okay. All right. Is that... Oh, that's is that all it? The, yes, that is all of the business. Okay. And do you want to get on into it first? Uh, yes. Okay, that's a good okay. deal. That's a good deal. That is. And I'm going to speak about Robert Middleton today. Mm-hmm. And 
There's your picture of him, Drew. Oh, okay. Okay, cute little boy. Yeah. Robert Middleton. On June 28, 1998, he turned eight years old. Yeah. And it was early evening, and it was his birthday. Okay. Well, his 13-year-old neighbor, Don Collins, doused him with gasoline and set him on fire. While he was conscious? Yes. Oh, my God. Robert survived the attack. How? But suffered third-degree burns over about 99% of his body. Oh, my God. That sounds like Silent Hill where they burned the, burned the girl, you know? Yeah. That was awful. The crime took place in Splendora, Texas, a small town in the Houston metropolitan area. Collins confessed to the police he was arrested, and he spent several months in juvenile detention. He was not, however, prosecuted as a juvenile or an adult for the assault. According to the Montgomery County prosecutor in charge of the investigation, the state did not have enough evidence against Collins to go forward with the case. As a result, the authorities had no choice but to release the suspect. Wait, can I just throw in an opinion here? You do that. Okay. But you do know what they say about opinions. Yeah, I don't care. Everybody has one that's like an asshole. Yeah, I know. <laughs> as many times as I've heard that come out your freaking mouth. But anyways, um, it, it just doesn't make sense because, you know, whenever a person, I know that it's considered attempted first degree murder. I know that it's, I know that it would be considered attempted. But honestly, if you put the child through that so much pain and 99% of their body is burnt, then, I mean, like, that's sort of worse than murder. I feel that way, too. I mean, it's worse than murder, but yet you get a lesser, well, you don't have to get well, a lesser just sentence. Listen. Let's just listen. I, I'm just throwing it out there. Over the years, Robert underwent 100 painful surgeries. Wow. And many skin grafts that still left him horribly disfigured. Oh, my God. You're going to show me the picture? Holy shit. Oh, my God. That was him before and that's him after. Jesus Christ. In 2011, after being diagnosed with skin cancer, Robert, in a videotaped disposition given shortly before he died, at the age of 23. So now he lived, okay? He was eight whenever he got burnt. Yeah. He lived until he was 23 and ended up dying from skin cancer. Oh, yeah, because his body's all the way burnt. He revealed that two weeks before the arson assault, Dan Collins had sexually molested him. Mm-hmm. Collins had torched the boy to prevent him from reporting the rape. Oh, my God. The medical examiner, finding that Middleton's cancer was caused by his burns, ruled his death a homicide. Of course. Following this cause and manner of death determination, detectives went with the Montgomery County Sheriff's Office, and they conducted a seven-month cold case investigation into the 1998 sexual molestation and subsequent arson. Yeah. Three years after setting Robert on fire, a jury found Collins guilty of sexually molesting another eight-year-old boy. Yeah. 
At the time of that rape, Collins was 15. So he was about 13, 12, 13, whenever he did this to the Robert. Yeah. For that offense, he spent four years, four years in juvenile detention. The assault took place in San Jacinto County, Texas. And I don't know if it's Jacinto or Jacinto. Just, I think it's Jacinto. Okay. Ooh, those euphoria pills are kind of kicking in. Oh, my God, you took some? Yes. Oh, my God. For those of you that don't know what euphoria is, it's some kind of... It's making my ears Some kind weird. of meditation shit. I don't know. Some kind of pill. What? I don't even know, but let's just get back to it. In 2012, Robert Middleton's parents won a $150 million wrongful death suit against Collins. Like Holy. he would ever be able to pay that. $150 million? Mm-hmm. Why would you even try? Because the man who had set fire to their son was homeless... The plaintiffs knew they would never collect the civil judgment. But just in case if he were to ever, you know, make Come anything, up on any kind of money. Right, or make anything off of the story or something like that in prison, it would go to them, I guess. Yeah. A Montgomery County judge in 2013 transferred the Collins and Middleton case from juvenile to adult court after the district attorney charged Collins with felony murder in connection with Middleton's delayed death. Under the felony murder doctrine, a person who commits a felony is culpable for any death that occurs in the commission of that crime. And in the Collins case, the underlying felony was sexual assault. While the sexual crime didn't cause Middleton's death, it led to the arson that in turn caused the cancer that in turn killed the victim. Jesus. Now it would be unlucky if if he died from like from the sun, from yeah. sun. Like if they found it that the sun was the reason, mm-hmm. that would be unlucky because it could happen. I mean, it was probably from the sun, but because his skin was just gone. Yeah, basically, it's gone. Honestly, from the picture, I mean, it's just that's it's hard. I don't even and see I, how we're he's... not. I usually would post this as our picture, but I'm not. It's it's a little too gruesome, honestly. But if you what's want wrong to with look this, at it, what's wrong with this hand right here? Like, is that like red or is that blood? No, that's just his hand. That's what it looks like. But you can look it up. Um, it's like a cast. Yeah. In terms of the law, the prosecution in the Collins case faced a felony murder causation problem. The prosecutor had to directly link the arson to the sexual attack. There was also the passage of time between the rape and the victim's cancer death. In the old days, before crimes were codified, There was a common law principle related to criminal homicide called the year-and-a-day rule. If the victim of an assault died a year and one day after the attack, too much time had passed to allow a murder charge. That's whack. Well, yeah. Because, I mean, there are some things that, like this, I mean, it can take years and then it, it is caused by that original 
attack. Exactly. Collins' attorney challenged the transfer of his client's case into adult court. Of course he did. In 1998, under Texas law, a person under the age of 14 could not be charged as an adult with a capital offense. Collins was 13 when he allegedly raped and then set fire to the victim. Now, in 1999, state legislators dropped the age to 10. In October 2014, State District Judge Kathleen Hamilton approved a request by Collins' attorneys to move the murder trial out of Montgomery County. One of the defendant's lawyers had argued that the intense publicity the case received would make it difficult for his client to get a fair trial locally. Mr. Bond said, I think the degree of shock as to what happened to Robbie Middleton has created a fervor in the community where people have decided that Don Collins is in fact guilty of something. They would convict him just based on emotion instead of an objective review of the evidence or lack thereof in the case, unquote. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. On January 10th, 2015, Judge Hamilton heard arguments on the Collins' defense motion to suppress statements that the defendant had made to police 16 years earlier regarding setting the victim on fire. Two days after the oral arguments, the oral arguments, the judge decided that because the interview room had not been approved by the Texas Juvenile Justice Department Board, she had no choice but to exclude this evidence from the prosecution's case. What really pisses me off about crimes and cases and the defendant, the person that committed the crime, it seems like they have more rights than the damn victim. It, it kind of does, honestly, because they have to make sure that everything's right and that they find a slight hair of inconsistency with the story or evidence, then they just throw it out. Yeah. I don't feel like you knew a single thing that I was just saying. I think you're out of it. <laughs> Honestly, I am a little bit. <laughs> anyway, Judge Hamilton noted, however, that the officers involved in the 1988 statements had not acted in bad faith. But because Texas law did not provide for good faith exceptions, because I gotta have faith, faith, faith. Please don't start that. Exceptions to the rules in the family code, the judge's hands were tied. Mm. Mm, no, they weren't. Oh, yeah, they were. Are they behind his back, under his legs? It was a female, please. Oh, okay, so just Judy. In looking for evidence against the defendant, detectives questioned a man who had served jail time in juvenile detention with Collins, who claimed that Collins had threatened to burn him the way that he had set fire to Robert Middleton. On February 4th, 2015, in a Galveston, Texas courtroom, Montgomery County Assistant District Attorney Kelly Blackburn, in his opening, I thought it was a female, but a male, in his mm. opening statement to the jury made up of six men and six women said, 
our case is based on the testimony of adults who came forward and could tell you what the defendant did when he and Robbie Middleton were children. Robbie. <laughs> Witnesses will tell you that he poured gasoline on Robbie Middleton in 1998 and set fire to him. Yeah. That would be excruciating pain. I'd hate to be the parents, too, though. That's a horrible thing. I have been on fire before. Yeah, but you didn't look like that. No. And I yeah. think you would probably hate yourself if you did. Well, that's the thing, is people that got get burned, and then they're scarred and stuff. I meant, it's the leading call. I meant suicide. A lot of them commit suicide. It makes sense. Yes. But um, it hurts getting on fire. I mean, I would assume it does based on just like. I did have a lighter. I meant, but 50% of my body did have second degree burns. Yeah. My face. Well, one side of my face. Left side and my whole entire left side. But then they gave me morphine before they took me in the helicopter. <laughs> I've done heard and all I'll this. And I will tell you, I loved it. <laughs> oh, my it God. It took the pain right out. Then they were trying to cut off my pants because they were kind of, you know, it was stuck to me. And I was like, no, nah, I don't have on no underwear because I don't wear underwear. And they were like, well, that's okay. <laughs> and I said, okay. Then whenever I got to the burn unit. Oh, you was rolling around. And no, I wasn't rolling around. A preacher came I in was and his crawling, ass was hanging out. I was crawling on the surgical tables trying to, like, do a little Olympic-style from one surgical table to the other. Why didn't they, like, hold you down or strap There wasn't you? nobody in there. I was in there by myself. Why didn't they and strap I had, you? I had taken off my—I had undone my robe thing, and so my ass and everything was out, and then the preacher came in. <laughs> and I was like, oop, my butt's out. <laughs> <laughs> okay, whatever. Just a little story. Yeah. True story. Yeah. Defense attorney Tay Bond— told the jurors they should not expect the prosecution to present eyewitnesses to this crime because there weren't any. A burn surgeon and chief of staff at Shriners Hospital for Children took the stand as the prosecution's first witness. He said the burns the victim had suffered, 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 uh -huh. had eaten through his fat tissue into his muscle. Ow, good. Oh, my God. The doctor said Middleton's burns were among the worst he had ever seen. For surviving 13 years, the doctor said he considered Middleton a miracle. Oh, yeah. Dr. Herndon was followed to the stand by three physicians who testified that the cancer that eventually killed the victim had been caused by his burns. Over the next several days, Prosecutor Blackburn, and isn't that ironic, Blackburn? Yes, I know that. Okay. That is that is odd. Put on witness who testified that Collins had bragged to them about what he had done to Robbie Middleton. One of these witnesses, an inmate at a juvenile detention center who served time with Collins, said the defendant had raped him, then threatened to burn him the way he had set fire to the Middleton boy. He loves raping this guy. Yeah. Defense attorney Bond, James Bond, in his closing remarks to the jury, again stressed the fact 
there were no eyewitnesses to the crime or physical evidence linking his client to Middleton's burning. But Prosecutor Blackburn, in his closing statement, called the defendant a monster and a child rapist. On February 9, 2015, the jury in Galveston, Texas, found Don Collins guilty of capital murder. Yes. Following the verdict, attorney Bond, James Bond, promised to appeal <laughs> the conviction on grounds that trying Collins as an adult for a crime committed when he was 13 was unconstitutional. Boy, you know what else was? Raping an eight-year-old boy and then setting fire to him. Exactly. Collins is a little dickweed. A he, little dickweed. He's too. an ass wipe. I doubt he wipes it. Yeah, he doesn't even wipe it. Judge Blackburn sentenced Collins to 40 years in prison. That's not very long. I know. Honestly, I mean, he could still get out. Yeah, well, I mean, he would unless he dies in prison. Exactly. Exactly. And the odd thing is, a lot of inmates live so long in prison, and it makes no sense, does it? I think it's because a lot of them, they grow their own vegetables and stuff at the prison. (laughs) You think so, for real? Maybe it's organic, and so their food is better, maybe. Jesus Christ. Actually, I think that they probably do have better health than any of us. You know what I'm saying? Because, like... Well, they get free health care. Yeah. And, I mean, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's all my got, story. That's all I got to say about that. Middleton. That was, and that's all I got to say that about that. That's tragic. That's yeah. all I got to say about that. Yeah. Well, okay. That was something else. My name is Forrest. Forrest Gump. Forrest Gump. People call me Forrest Gump. Oh, my God. How many times are you going to do that? Well, anyways, we will take a little break and we'll get right back to you. For a word from our sponsors. And we are back yeah we're back being bad in the boondocks baby okay i don't have nothing to say about that but that's do you got anything for yes i do i surely do okay whatever and the lady well i am going to be talking about zakia avery and (laughs) monifa sanford Monifa Sam, Monifa Sanford. Okay. Yeah, there we go, better. baby. There we go. Monifa. You know, I kept saying Monifa every time that I go over it, and then now I'm realizing it's Monifa. Monifa, baby. And Zakia, Zaki- or Zakia. I'm gonna say Zakia. Yeah, I think so. Anyways, and Monifa. Let's get let's dig on into it, baby. In February of 2013, Monifa Sanford met Zakia Avery through their small church. At the time, Sanford was living with her father and attended classes at Montgomery County College. Sanford and Avery participated in the dance ministry program together at the church, and they became very close friends. The two spent um, much time together, as much as four times per week. During this time, Avery began to educate Sanford about the types of demons in the world, by showing Sanford videos of demons on YouTube. From February to August 2013, Sanford and Avery grew increasingly close like sisters. In July 2013, Avery's husband, Martin Harris, moved out of the residence. 
During the summer, Sanford began seeing shadows and hearing noises at her father's house, which she attributed to demons. Avery told Sanford she had to leave her father's house, or else the incubus would possess her. The incubus? Yeah, the incubus would possess her. Shortly after, in August 2013, Sanford moved in with Avery and her four children at 19041 Cherry Bend Drive, Germantown, Montgomery County, Maryland. Wow, now that <laughs> is quite I know. Yeah. an address. It sure is. At the time, Sanford worked as a grocery store um, checker at Giant. That's oh, it. Giant. Almost like the pig here. Yeah. After moving in with Avery, Sanford began seeing... Um, evil spirits at her job. Well, I mean, you, I mean, at a grocery store, there are some evil spirits that be up in there. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Avery told her to quit the job because demons were at the store, and said Sanford could continue, should continue living with her. I think it was probably in the meat department. <laughs> yeah, Sanford then quit her job. Um, after that, Sanford and Avery began to. Socially isolate themselves. They spent up to an hour and a half each day watching videos online about demons and the Illuminati. I mean, like that's abnormal. I do that. (laughs) Sometimes, sometimes. They stopped attending church as they believed there were demons in the church now. Oh, God. That's getting a little much there. Mm -hmm. Neither Sanford nor Avery worked as they believed God did not want them to. Instead, Avery received financial assistance from the state and Sanford from her mother who lives and worked in Japan. Wow. Yep. After October, Sanford um, generally stopped leaving the house and allowed Avery to tend all the matters outside of the residence. Sanford and Avery started to believe demons were in the household. Believing that there were they believed that they were demon warriors. They spent a large amount of time dancing to fight the demons. Dancing to fight the demons? Yeah. And what kind of dance do you do? It's called a little jiggle jiggle and a little shaky shake, and then there you go, bounce, bounce out. I thought it was like drop it like it's <laughs> Drop it like it's hot. Um, Avery told Sanford she had, guess what? <laughs> Uh, told her that she had an eczema demon, and made Sam. Yeah, made Sanford stop taking her eczema medicine. Jesus <laughs> Christ! Sanford's severe eczema condition worsened. They also believed that there were spirits in the house named Dante Cross and Troy Williams. Like Dante. I thought it would be like Dante Ash, you know, like Dante Ash. How do you spell it? Don. D-O-N. Don. D-A-W-N. Yeah, T. Oh. Dante. Dante. It's Dante because it's T. It's spelled T. Oh, like T. Like T-E-A. T-E-A. Dante. <laughs> Whatever. Don't-tia. They believed that Dante was Avery's boyfriend and Troy was Sanford's boyfriend. However, only... Um, only Sanford could hear Dante, and only Avery could hear Troy. So they allowed the spirits to inhabit each other's bodies so that they could speak with their respective 
boyfriend. Is this story real? Yeah. It is. Sanford and Avery believe that they were part of a group called Demon Assassins. The four members of the Demon Assassins were Sanford, Avery, and their imaginary boyfriends, Stonty and Troy. This shit is black, <laughs> I know. This shit is whack. According to Sanford, the demon assassins performed exorcisms on people and spread the word of God. While all this was going on, Avery's four children were still staying there. Her one-year-old son, Norrell Harris, two-year-old daughter, Zianna Harris, and her two oldest children, Tania, age five, and Marcello, eight years old. Sanford and Avery rarely had any visitors. When Sanford's father and brother unexpectedly visited the house on Thanksgiving of 2013, Avery left the room and did not speak to them. When Avery's husband's parents visited her children, they were not allowed inside inside the house. Instead, the paternal grandparents had to sit in the car outside in order to visit with the children. You said her husband's parents. So she's married. Yes. And is cheating on him with a fake boyfriend. Yeah. <laughs> Some females just call it a vibrator. <laughs> Are you serious? Oh, yeah, that's my donty here. That's my donty. It feels real good. Jesus. <laughs> In December 2013, the children's paternal grandparent, grandmother took them to Philadelphia to visit their father. Avery and Sanford used that time to expel the demons they believed were in the house. They decided to drive away from the residence to avoid additional demons and lived in their car for nine days in a parking lot of a department store. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's so fucked up. I don't understand. With, so was her children with them too? No, didn't you just listen? The grandmother got them. And took them to Philadelphia to go see their dad. Okay, I missed that. Sorry. Well, they did not bathe or eat for the first three to four days. During this time, they waited for Daunty and Troy to arrive and wash the demons off. It's not hard to guess that they didn't show up. (laughs) One day before the children were scheduled to return from Philadelphia, Sanford and Avery returned to their residence, cleaned themselves, and bought food for the home. When the children returned home, Sanford and Avery went through the toys the children had received as gifts and threw all the toys because away because they believed that they were possessed by demons. The toys. Were yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um. Later that night, in the early morning hours of January 17th, 2014. Avery woke up, Sanford, and told her that everyone was dead and only the spirits remained. Avery instructed Sanford to retrieve the Bible to put the armor of God onto them. The two then went into the second floor bedroom where Norrell and Zianna Harris were sleeping that night. Avery told Sanford that Norrell, who was crying at the time, had demons on him and Sanford claims that she saw Norrell's eyes turn black and his nose started to bleed. Avery picked up Norrell, gripped her hands around her son's neck, and tried to choke him. 
This description is consistent with the autopsy, which revealed that, <laughs> now this is a hard word to say, petechial homorgious. Potential homorgious. Yep, that's how you say it. Your guess Emerging. That's it. <laughs> I'm not the best at medical terms. I'm not a scientist. Petechial hemorrhage. In, indicated and exficia. Ex, I can't get that. Exficia. Exficia? Whatever. Event. Norrell continued to cry. Unable to stop the crying, Avery and Sanford then began to perform what they claim was an exorcism. Avery put Norrell on the bed, and she and Sanford attempted to pray the demon out by speaking tongues and laying hands, an act that consist, consisted of holding the, her hands just above Norrell's body. Avery said that the only way to save the baby's soul was to kill him, and instructed Sanford to retrieve a knife. Sanford immediately went downstairs to the kitchen, retrieved a small serrated paring knife with a red handle, then returned to Norell's room and gave the knife to Avery. Avery straddled Norell on the bed as Sanford again spoke in tongues and laid hands on him. On him? That sounds nasty. I think you mean above him. Okay. I just said on him because I just well, added, added a little something. Exactly. First, Avery cut her son's throat multiple times. Norell Harris suffered at least eight cutting wounds on his neck and additional cutting wounds directly under his chin. And how old was he? Norell was um, one years old. And how can you one year get old? that many He was cuts. the one year old, I think. Yeah. Um, Avery then began to stab Norell. Norell suffered numerous cutting wounds to the right and center portion of his chest that injured the skin and superficial soft tissue. He also suffered one stab wound to the right side of his neck, which injured his jugular vein. As Avery repeatedly stabbed and cut her son, Sanford stroked, stroked the child's face in order to calm him. Despite his young age, Norell struggled and attempted to defend himself by blocking the knife. As a result, he suffered multiple cutting wounds to his palms and fingers. To prevent him from struggling, Sanford positioned herself near the child's head and pinned down Norell's arms as Avery continued to stab him. At some point, Sanford and Avery moved Norell to, um, to the floor because they believed the knife was not penetrating deep enough. With Norell on the floor, the attack continued. Most significantly, Norell suffered a five-inch deep stab wound immediately below his left nipple that punctured into his lung, diaphragm, liver, and stomach. Jeez. During the attack on Norell, Avery's two-year-old daughter, Zyanna, was also in the room. Sanford claimed the devil claimed Zyanna became possessed by the devil and began to growl and grunt. They attempted to pray the devil out of Zyanna's body, but it didn't work. Um, Sanford then picked up Zyanna, put her hands around the girl's neck, forced Zyanna back to the ground, and choked her till unconscious. Okay, but if they think that there's demons in them, mm -hmm. and they're doing this to get the demons out, 
once they get out, if the people are dead, then where are the demons going to go? Well, they're trying. They're saving. Scared. They're trying to save their soul. They're not trying to save their life. They're trying to save their I soul. I know that, but if they're so worried about demons, the de- they're they gonna have a hell of a lot of demons floating around their apartment or whatever. That is true because they ain't got nowhere else to go. No, and their fake boyfriends is done left them. Yeah, they done left them. Exactly. Oh my god! How shitty can you be to have a fake fake boyfriend, boyfriend that leaves you for another freaking woman. woman? Can you believe that? Diana was then stabbed numerous times in the upper left. Upper left, shut up. I'm sorry. Upper left portion of her chest. She was stabbed with such force that at least that at least 13 stabbings penetrated Diana's torso completely and created exit wounds in her back. Good God! Yeah, it is unclear really who stabbed um Diana, as Sanford and Avery each claimed that it was the other one, but who knows. During the attacks on Norell and Diana, the door to the room was open. At some point, Avery's eight-year-old son, Martello, who had been sleeping in the adjacent bedroom, woke up and entered the room where Sanford and Avery were attacking Norell. As he watched his younger brother get stabbed, Martello cried and yelled to tell his mom to stop. Oh, that is so sad. Martello witnessed Avery stab Norell in the chest and saw his brother close his eyes and stop crying. Oh, I feel so bad for him. Believing a demon had possessed Martello, Avery and Sanford then attacked him. They struck Martello in the face and attempted to choke him, but he fought back. But that's what I'm talking about. See, they letting the demons out and they're just going into other people. Exactly, just going everywhere. Why didn't they just go into themselves and then kill themselves? That that's a good idea. As Martello was being attacked, Avery retrieved the same red hand handled serrated knife that was used on Norell and Diana and stabbed Martello once in the upper left part of his chest, just below his left nipple, in the same area where Norell and Diana were stabbed. The stab wound was deep enough to puncture his lung, and Martello fell to the floor and started screaming. Sanford saw that he was bleeding. During the attack on Martello, Avery's five-year-old daughter, Tania, also appeared in the hallway and was crying. Avery told Sanford to get Tania, and Sanford ordered Tania to get on the ground. As she laid on the ground, Sanford told Tania to confess and that the Lord is her Savior. Oh, I swanny. Sanford then put her hands around the child's neck and choked her till she was unconscious. Tania quickly regained consciousness, and as she came to, Sanford used the same knife to stab Tania once in her chest, immediately below her left nipple. Everything's a left nipple. Yeah. Um, the stab wound punctured Tania's lung, and she immediately collapsed and crawled away on her hands and knees into her bedroom. While Sanford attacked Tania, she saw that Avery was still attacking Martello by stomping and kicking him while he laid on the ground. Martello yelled out that he was afraid, and Avery told him that he needed to believe. After the attacks on the four children, Avery turned to Sanford. First, she told Sanford to go um, into the master bedroom, bathroom 
take her clothes off, and get into the shower. Avery followed her to the master bathroom, removed her own clothes, and started attacking Sanford. Oh my god. Using the same serrated knife. Avery stabbed Sanford multiple times in the chest. Photographs later taken at Suburban Hospital confirmed that Sanford suffered two stab wounds and one laceration on her chest. When Sanford attempted to defend herself, Avery told her not to fight back. As Sanford fell to the floor, Avery choked her and slammed her head onto the ground, causing a contusion over Sanford's left eye. Avery then used the knife to partially cut Sanford's throat. At some point, Avery stopped attacking Sanford and left the master bathroom. Sanford then went downstairs and retrieved a second knife from the kitchen. This knife had a longer, smooth blade, was approximately 12 inches long, and had a wooden handle. She returned upstairs and confronted Avery in the front bedroom where the kids were. Sanford told Avery that she would not continue to be attacked. Avery then struck Sanford on both sides of her face and struggled for control of the knife. Avery gained control of the knife, stabbing Sanford again in the stomach and pushed her on the ground. She then jumped on top of Sanford and stabbed her twice in the back. These additional stab wounds were later noted by the emergency medical personnel and photographed. During the struggle and attack, the wooden handle on the knife broke. That's something. That is something else. During this fight. (laughs) What? Because you said that's something. I said that's something else. (laughs) (laughs) That's something. That's something else. (laughs) Um. Oh shit! Yeah, I got it. During this fight, during during this fight. Well, both Tanaya and Martella were in the room. Sanford recalled that Tanaya was rolling around on the bed, crying and moaning, while Martello lay still on the other bed. When Avery stopped attacking Sanford, she said they needed to clean the house and dispose of the clothes they were wearing. Sanford and Avery then showered, and you got to think, Sanford and and Avery were showering, and Sanford just got stabbed Not me. in the stomach, in the back two times, and in the chest. Not me. And cut, her, and cut her throat a little bit. When they were done, though, they put the clothes they wore during the attacks in a plastic bag and discarded the knives by throwing them out the children's bedroom window into the freaking front yard. How stupid are you? True. Do we really need to start back from the beginning? Never mind. <laughs> Never mind. Okay. Together, Sanford and Avery then stripped and washed the bodies of Narelle and Zania and Diana in um in the master bathroom and left them on the bed in the master bedroom. Sanford also helped Martello shower. After he showered, Avery wrapped Martello in a bedsheet. However, Tanaya remained in her bedroom and was actually eventually found, still wearing the clothes she wore when Sanford choked and stabbed her. At 9.40 a.m., officers responded to a report of a suspicious situation at Avery's and Sanford's address 
In the front of the house, they found the serrated knife with the red handle lying next to a blue Toyota and the longer chef's knife with the broken handle lying in the grass, both of which appear to have blood on them. A neighbor notified the police that the blue Toyota belonged to Avery, and in the back seat of the Toyota, officers saw a large keychain, which they retrieved from the unlocked car. The officers also noted that an upstairs window to the apartment was open, which was unusual for mid-January. Officers knocked on the door, and after no response, they entered using a key on the keychain. Well, that's good to use one off the keychain. Yeah, I know. When the officers entered the house, they saw Avery rush down the stairs from the second floor with Martello, who was wrapped in the bed sheet. Avery was pulling Martello behind her, and it was clear to officers that Martello was not in charge of the situation. You think? No. You freaking think. These cops, they are spot on. They are spot on. Nothing I'm telling you. Them. Exactly. They are bright. They are real bright. As they reached the ground floor, Avery and Martello turned away from the officers, rushed down the hallway, and went down a separate staircase towards the basement. Behind Avery, the officer saw Sanford come down the stairs and, noticing her um, injuries, rendered first aid. Avery and Martello exited the rear of the house from the basement and attempted to flee in her car. Avery put Martello in the back seat, but officers apprehended her before she managed to get into the vehicle. Emergency medical personnel arrived and immediately treated Martello for a stab wound to his left chest. Martello was then transferred to Children's Hospital for treatment. There, doctors administered morphine for pain and noting an obvious open lung injury sedated Martello and surgically inserted a chest tube into his left lung. He really enjoyed that morphine. <laughs> yeah, hopefully it would take all that pain away because that would hurt like hell, dude. Martello remained in the hospital for treatment for six days. While searching the house, officers found Tania curled up in her bed. Tania lifted her head and looked at the officers but did not move. An officer then carried her outside and set her on a police cruiser. The officer felt that his hand and and Tania's nightshirt were warm and wet and noticed that his hand had blood on it. He then discovered the stab wound to Tania's chest. Emergency medical personnel immediately attended to Tania, and she was transported to Children's Hospital. Doctors diagnosed Tania with a collapsed left lung and associated accumulate. Uh, accumulation of fluid and air in the chest cavity due to the stab wound. Um, Tania was administered morphine for pain, treated for acute blood loss, and underwent surgery to insert a chest tube into her left lung in order to drain fluid and reinflate her lung. While sweeping the house, Dr. <laughs> Officers <laughs> 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 you bad boy, you silly officer. Okay, that won't be nothing added to that. Officers discovered the bodies of Norell and Zyanna on the bed in the master bedroom. Emergency medical personnel were summoned but found no respiration and no pulse. So they were declared 
dead. Dead. Yeah. In court, Z- um, Zakia Avery pleaded guilty to two counts of first-degree murder and two counts of attempted first-degree murder. And Monifa Sanford was committed to Clifton T. Perkins Hospital for an undetermined period of time. Yeah. Damn. Yeah. And I think what really happened was um, Monifa Sanford actually, um, she did plead guilty to two counts of first-degree murder and two counts of attempted first-degree murder. But, of course, they said that she wasn't responsible for the attacks. So then they they sent her to this hospital, which I assume it's a psychiatric hospital. Hopefully it is. No, they need to send her straight home. No, what they did was, I know what they did. They went because they... Because of the injuries. Because of the okay, injuries. And then they're the going to send them. My dog is about to bark because yeah. my wife and them came in. Exactly. And then they're going to send her off to prison for two counts of first-degree murder and two counts of attempted first-degree murder. That was something of a story, wasn't it? I'm still not sure if it's real. That was crazy, man. It's real, all right. It's real. There's those types of people in here. But, well, that was something Else. I'm going to have to say I thoroughly enjoyed it, but that was a really messed up, really messed up. Yeah, episode. I mean, I felt like, okay, it was a little bit longer than usual, but it wasn't too much longer than usual, but I meant it was pretty good. It was pretty good, it was. Because, you know, we didn't have as many interruptions because, you know, I sort of wanted to do the story, you know? Yeah. But, yeah. Well, okay. I think that that's all that we've got for you, but definitely make sure that you take Please. that screenshot of your review and five star s- and five star and send it to us at bad in the boondocks at gmail.com. Yes. And you will be entered for this month's contest in November. Also, this is November. If you have some extra change in your pocket, Please go to patreon.com, look up Bad in the Boondocks, and become a boondocker. For only $2.99 a month, you can get two extra episodes a month. And there's other tiers also with different benefits. Or go over to Himalaya, become a premium member for $4.99, and guess what? You get two episodes, mini-sodes, and a full episode every month. Exactly. And the first 50, we've got 10, 12, 13 right now. Yep. And the first 50 are entered into that drawing for $100 Amazon gift cards. You can't beat that now, can you? No, you cannot because that's the best odds I would ever freaking have in any kind of contest. And that is getting bad in the boondocks. Baby. Baby. That's the first time I've ever said that, I think. Anyways. All right. Um, I've been Stan. And I'm always Drew. Why do we always look at each other like that? And we're silent. We I don't know, because you look a little creepy whenever you do that. And I've been Stan. And I'm always Drew. And we will catch you on the bright side. Or on we'll the ca- dark side we'll of the moon. We'll catch you out the back door. I'm just fine. He'll catch that. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I, don't, I ain't catching nothing out. Anyways, we are signing off to you. See, See ya. ya.